Welcome to Empathy Power Up, a collaboration of two people who connected during the pandemic through their love of empathy and action. Two people from very different backgrounds, helping each other find ways to love themselves, understand their experiences better, and help reverse the rise of narcissism and the divides in our communities. We will cover various topics about the human experience to help us power up on tools of empathy and emotional intelligence in the pursuit of one simple goal, create a world where people seek to understand themselves and each other. This is a learning journey amongst fellow humans. We're all just figuring out life together. Imagine the time you go into a new space or you've been to one where you barely know anyone. Um, think about a networking event after a conference where you don't know many people and you're looking around trying to find connection. Could it also be a party at some a new party you're going to and you only know maybe one or two people or the hosts and you're in that space. Or even better, when you join a new company and it's the first day at your job. Yeah, there's some folks that'll come and greet you and then Say, all right, here's your desk, here's your things, we do orientation and introduce you to a few people. It's exciting. Sometimes it's anxiety-filled and it's a little lonely as well. And we don't know a lot of people and, and, and when we start talking or we see others talking and then them, seeing them feeling at ease, it's, it's felt awkward for me. And it's the feeling of not knowing whether we belong in that space or not, whether I fit in, whether people want me there, people want to talk to me, or how do I navigate these spaces? But once the ice breaks and we make a connection with someone and we find some common interests, we get talking, we share our stories, things change a little. We feel a little more relaxed. Maybe we'll be able to navigate the space with more ease. It's, it's this power of connection and community that we're feeling in that moment where we feel ourselves connected to more than just us, more than our thoughts beyond us, beyond us. It's the feeling that maybe we belong in that space. I grew up in India as a middle-class cis Hindu man. That is my way of saying that I had privilege. I was able to navigate spaces with more confidence and the feeling of whether I belonged or not was very less. And it was mostly... Um, when my sexuality came into view or where I felt less, but or when I was around people who had more privilege than me, where I felt a little less sense of belonging, connection, community. And well, I share that because I it's an I think that's an important intersection as well is to understand is like I didn't I if you're in a space where you have a certain amount of privilege we kind of sort of grow into that sense of belonging. But then when we exit those spaces, where like joining a new workplace or or a new party or or we go at a networking event in a first time in the conference, we don't know what's going on. We don't feel that sense of communication, uh, connection or community. It's tough. And it's also tougher when in spaces where people don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, behave like you. Like I'm a I'm a man, but I, I'm imagining like women navigating uh, men dominated industries and conferences and workplaces, and and then there's trans folk, and then people of color navigating places. It's it's it just compounds in those in those situations. And 
mean, we can't move past those feelings. It's it's like we're living with this burden, this heaviness is always there, this working in the workplaces that we occupy. And given the amount of time people spend in workplaces, the relations and the relationships and the connections we build there can have a variety of impacts, both positive and negative. On the positive side, strong workplace relationships can lead to increased job satisfaction, productivity, and innovation. They can also provide social support and a sense of belonging. While on the negative side, poor workplace relationships can lead to conflict, stress, and decreased productivity. They can also make it difficult to work effectively with others. Overall, the quality of our workplace relationships can have a significant impact on our overall well-being and success. Yeah, and absolutely. When we when we are with other humans, we experience empathic resonance, which is when signals from our nervous systems resonate with other people's nervous systems. And uh, so we can feel someone's happiness, we can feel someone's pain. And when you're in good relationship, everything is great. But also when you're in bad relationship, everything is not great. And this is how our bodies and brains have evolved over time. And this is also why why it's why being alone is disorienting to us as humans. And it was so difficult for us to be away from each other in the pandemic. Um, so it can also have deeper effects on our mental health and well-being. And if someone is resonating with negative feelings, um, which in the psychological world, it's called distress, we pick up on those subtle and not so subtle cues that the world is not okay. So as more bodies are sending this distress signal, and I'm kind of liking it to um, the te a telegraph wire between ships sending an SOS sign, um, we start taking on all of those telegraphs, those distress signals. And this, this type of thing is called empathic distress. And it's been linked to deep levels of anxiety and depression. But what we've also found through research is that it's not until these bodies start healing and you start sending those, you stop sending those distress signals. And sometimes it means that you have to leave the culture altogether, that you're able to come back to yourself and to center yourself. So in having social support, relationships, networks can offer just a lot of physical health, but also psychological help and also emotional, informational support, advice, and mitigate those feelings of loneliness and isolation. So if you haven't picked up on this yet, this week we're focusing on the second essential in the U.S. Surgeon General's framework connection and community. So I personally think that this is the most to do with building a culture of empathy and compassion, which is often what my colleagues and clients both want to move out of isolation and to be in community. So this framework came out in 20, October 2022, and even earlier this year, in May 2023, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory um, so it's a report that talks about our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Um, the so US, U.S. Surgeon General is named Dr. Vivek Murthy, and he 
Um, this advisory, he's written books about this, but this advisory is going deeper. And he talks about the healing effects of community, the importance of social connection and um, to the individual and the community health. Um, so some of the, the findings from the study is adding social connection can transform our whole health and well-being. It's also lessens our amounts of different diseases like heart disease, high blood pressure, depression, and diabetes. Um, and if you don't have connection, it increases the risk of premature death, similar to smoking cigarettes every day. And that's just something that's a social conversation, right? And a social problem. Um, but it's something that they also talk about, which in a fun way, where they're saying that it needs to be cared for and nurtured like a garden by all of us. And it's how we build this thing called, they call social connection. So they define social connection as the number, variety, and quality of your relationships and interactions, and whether they, they meet your needs. And so it not surprising that this connection helps you on an individual level. It helps the community, but also it's kind of streams out into the society at large. Um, and so there's lots of really interesting findings from the study too, where half of us adults have experienced measurable levels of loneliness and it's more prevalent than smoking, diabetes, and obesity. It's been declining for decades in all ages and backgrounds. And it's it loneliness and isolation are not limited to specific groups, but affects impacts individuals with poor physical and mental health disabilities, financial insecurity, younger and older populations increasingly more. And it's um it's affecting youth and youth um are having deeper levels of loneliness and significant decline in social interactions so as uh, it's not surprising that this need for social connection extends into the workplace as supportive relationships are not limited to intimate networks of close family or friends i, I think it's and, so so yeah. important interesting that you mentioned this like how this affects our health and in the environmental aspect, the the interdependency that we've been talking about in so many of our episodes as well is, is how that affects us. And if we were to take just these symptoms and go to a doctor, they're like, here's your, we'll treat you with these symptoms without really looking at this outside aspect of how the environment affects us. And it's so important to talk about this because the data, the studies are showing, this is not just someone dreaming it up and, and writing it studies that are showing that when we don't have these connections and in, in sense of community and when we're feeling lonely we are in pain we are hurting hurting ourselves we are it is a path of decline health for us mentally physically in so many ways so i think it's so urgent for us to to start like reflecting on ourselves am i feeling this way or not and how is it that that we we can build spaces and workplaces and in 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 communities and neighborhoods where where we this decline is reversed. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's affecting us on a deeper level and it's all encompassing, right? Um, mental health, but physical health as well. And 
this essential um, from the work, mental health and workplace well-being um, framework that they created rests on these two human needs of social support and belonging. So my own story around this idea of like, is my default feelings is been of isolation and loneliness. So I know that when I start feeling like I'm lost at sea or marooned on an island by myself, that I'm in desperate need of connection. And it's taken me many years to get to that. I'm 41 now. <laughs> it's uh, taken many years to, for me to get to that place. <laughs> so, oh, I, I, what's so interesting is I think about, oh, um, the moments of in the past where I felt so lonely and in, in, when I was in college, we're in a high school. And I just, I remember in those moments, any connection, even if it was at that point, I'm like a toxic connection. I would have, I would jump on. I'd be like, yeah, whatever at this point and, and, and getting to that level of desperation. So I, I, I get it. Like I, I, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm resonating with, your, with <laughs> what you're saying here. Yeah. And, and, and what I brought into my adulthood is these, I had, had uncertain conditions in my life where I had intense fear um, in my life and growing up where I was wondering when the next blow up would happen. There was emotional pressure and stress and also sometimes silent treatment um, from people in my family. So in love me wondering, did I matter? Do I matter? You know, my childhood fear was real and then I became a fear-based adult. And I think because I feared other people, and I still do, it's something that is hard to get away. I'm left with a sense of loneliness or feeling that I might never escape that loneliness, loneliness out there. And right now, I like I said, I'm glad I have better awareness now and faster at picking up where I'm headed. And I have a super supportive community. Um, in my healing community, I call it, and it's this place called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and we call it ACA. Um, these are people who have also come from a dysfunctional past and bringing, trying to do this adulting thing without the skills to be a true adult. So um, there's this phrase that they use um, in ACA um, where it says, don't talk don't trust, don't feel. And these are the things that we learned. And I think that also is leading us to dysfunctional behaviors in the workplace in a bigger way. Um, we're not talking about the elephant in the room. We're not trusting. We also sometimes dissociate because we are not physically um, safe, uh, going back to protection from harm, right? safe or secure in the spaces that we're in. So then that can lead us to isolation and loneliness. So um, I'm, this community has been super valuable. I've learned a lot from them, but also at the same time, I'm building collaborations with people, um, multiple people from this community and other ones in, you know, empathy and compassion who are really trying to change the way we do work, right? Not just in how we do the work and like do it with our clients, but we're trying to be more vulnerable. We're trying to have less loneliness and collaborate in bigger ways. So this, so that was the first human need, right? Of, of social connection. The second one is belonging. And I think we were talking earlier that I think you have some some thoughts you have on what belonging might entail, Kevin? 
So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, and and I thank you for sharing your uh, your social support story as well, and and with uh, with all of us. Um, I think the second fundamental need that we humans have is the belonging, which is such a big one, and it's talked so much about in in context of DEI on LinkedIn and all these spaces. And belonging is this feeling of being accepted and included in a group or community. It is a sense of connection and attachment to others. Um, belonging can be based on shared interests, experiences, or values. It can also be based on social identity, such as race, ethnicity, or religion. Belonging is important for our mental and emotional health. It, is, it can help us feel connected to others, supported, and valued. And it can help us feel safe and secure. When we feel like we belong, we are likely to be happy and healthy. And, and there are many ways to feel a sense of belonging. We can join groups and organizations that share our interests. We can volunteer time to help others. We can connect with friends and family. And, and we also find belonging in nature or through faith. And I think a lot of people find that first sense of belonging in family. And in a way, I don't relate to that as much. In my family, I didn't find that sense of belonging. In fact, as soon as I could, I it, at the age of 18, I ran. I ran as fast as I could away. Like, um, I'm making my way back to my family and finding that sense of belonging in there again or and, and working towards that because I feel um, it is an important part of my journey of loving myself. But it it's I think it's important for us to understand that we can find it in different places and different spaces. Um, companies, they they need to create the space where, where people can build that sense of belonging or have that sense of belonging for their employees, especially the, for those who come from um, the different perspectives than the typical majority of the company. And this can be done by creating a diverse and inclusive workplace where employees feel comfortable sharing their ideas and perspectives. Companies can also create employee resource groups or ERGs um, for based on shared interests or identities. And that can help build that social sense of social support and fulfill that need and build a sense of belonging because we, if we start there, that sort of resonates out into other spaces as we work towards it. And while companies can also offer training on unconscious bias and D, diversity and inclusion, DE&I, which can help employees to be more aware of their biases and how to create more inclusive workplaces. And there's a lot of benefits. And these are studies and the data around this is um, there's a lot. There's increased increased employee satisfaction, engagement, reduced turnover. So you don't, it's, it's as we've learned, it is cheaper to keep people who have trained and know the system running and then finding new people and recruiting and hiring. And there's a lot of impact to productivity there. Um, people, when they feel a sense of belonging, that burden, that heaviness I talked about earlier, sort of blocks a little bit of that creativity and innovation. So when that goes away, we can be more creative and that leads to more productivity. And when people talk about their feeling great, like I I, I talk to my friends who were like, oh yeah, I really feel like I belong in, in the company I work at right now. I feel like I can go talk to anyone I want. They can come talk to me. We have conversations. We can, it feels that sense of belonging. What that does is that other people now are like, oh, that's a good place to work. And so that increases the reputation, brand image 
for that company and organization as well. So coming back, I didn't feel a sense of belonging for most of my life until I moved to Seattle. And it was a few years into Seattle. I remember um, before I lived in India and Florida, and I always carried this burden, this heaviness of discomfort and awkwardness that was there. And I remember walking around my neighborhood in Seattle a couple years ago in a beautiful sunny day with my, with my husband. And I told him, I said, I feel light. I feel so light. I could fly right now. And it was because I felt a part of that community, that neighborhood that, that I felt like I belonged. It, It felt like home. And then when you take this in the in workplace context, the co- company I worked at in Florida, I hid so much of myself in there, many parts of myself. I didn't feel like I belonged. I would, I would try to avoid or maybe even potentially find ways to not reveal the truth. And I worked on building connections, but it was mostly transactional, mostly networks. And we'll talk more about that coming up, but it, it it was a long time for for me to find that like uh, even a small community in that company it took me eight years to get that and so I think it's important for us to realize how much how important the sense of belonging is in that in for for humans to navigate. Mm-hmm. But also, like what I heard in that story too is that how rare it is, um, but how important it is and. And I think in the work that we're doing in the world is that we strive to have um, a place where it's not a rare occurrence anymore, right? That we all feel like we can be part and parcel of that space. And, you know, all the, a lot of this stuff is very contextual, right? So we have to understand the ca- context and belong, and you won't go, you're not going to belong everywhere, you know, and that's what makes those special, those areas very, spe- really special. And so... Um, so some of the things when I think about a sense of belonging or lack of belonging, I saw this firsthand in my past work. So I served at the end of President Obama's term in office, and I was studying and scaling the use of innovation and change efforts across government. And when I was doing this work, there was dozens of volunteers and details in the federal government came to work with me to research, co-create, and code what became innovation.gov. And all along the way, we slowly built movements of people to work to get more proficient in the spread of these practices and these processes across government that we had kind of honed in on. And by the time I left in 2018, um, we had nearly 5,000 people in what we called the better government movement. And we grew this in a way that was open, transparent, peer-driven, which is based on our research. And we literally wrote that we practiced what we preached, and then we preached what we practiced. And but later I realized that the, I didn't realize this until at the time because there was a book that just came out that same year that was describing what was happening in the world at the time. And this book is called New Power. And what we're, what's happening in the bigger world when it comes to the workplace, we're transitioning from this old power dynamic, which comes from our, our industrialized past 
It is command and control. It's leader-driven, powers at the top and directed downward. And it's about building managers rather than leaders. And this is the world that are the folks who are the managers of the past built. And it and um I and I in that environment stood for the change that was quickly coming towards them. And there was resistance. So when so that was happening in a big way. I stood for the new power dynamics, open participatory, and all that, all that jazz. But when I looked at the innovation ecosystem within the federal government, I saw exclusive spaces where only the privileged could be, the people who already knew innovation and change. I could see a whole bunch of opportunities that to us to lead in a different way. And I tried to, to, um, to role play that and to do that. And I participated in many of these groups that were privileged. The Innovators Network, which was an innovation salon, it was invite only. Um, they protected their space. Um, There's also the Innovation Board, which I was sat on. And I felt like I belonged there, but I also didn't really feel like this was the right thing because for equity purposes. And then there was a nonprofit organization whose literal purpose was to take the top brass in like to do diplomacy in a bigger way. And they were the people who were around me were all talking about this privilege that we were have to be in these spaces. Um, so the difference I could feel in those spaces is not only um, that they were exclusive and sometimes it gave me the ick factor. It also helped me realize that these groups were networks and not a community. And I wrote about this distinction in my book um, in 2002, a book was written by John Tyler, Taylor Gatto, and he's a public school teacher. He taught for nearly 30 years and witnessed how schooling and socialization of students are moving us away from community. And so a community, he says, is a place where people face each other over time in all their human variety, the good parts, the bad parts, and all the rest. And he says that such places promote the highest quality of life possible, lives of engagement and participation. So a community to him, and you know, I also feel this way too, is is small and intimate. It's it's organic and bottom up. It requires action and contribution and nurtures the whole person. But then in contrast, a network, which is where many of us are in it only sees a piece of who we are. So John Tyler Taylor Gatto also says, he says, it asks you to suppress all the parts of yourself except for the network interest part, a highly unnatural act, although, no, although one you can get used to. In exchange, the network will never efficient, deliver efficiency in the pursuit of some limited aim. This is, in fact, a devil's bargain. Since the promise of some future gain, one must surrender the wholeness of one's present humanity. Yeah, I think this is such an important um, conversation around network versus communities as well. Um, The key difference between the two being lines in their focus. Networks describe the connection between individuals and entities, while communities refer to groups of people united by shared interests, values, or goals. 
um, networks are like these nodes and they form like I connect to one node and then maybe I connect to another, another node and it sort of grows from that. Whereas I, I look at community as almost like you're like a, like, um, a sphere that we go into because it's a shared interest and it's, it's not building one out to the other. We come in and it's like a hug from, from a group in a way mm-hmm. is how I visualize that. Um, and networks can contain multiple communities within them and and the understanding both networks and communities is crucial for us to understand human interactions and social structures um in fact if you think of it like even our sort of neurons in our brain are sort of this network that are formed and when we're born like they grow as a network one node to the other and then and then it starts some neurons that are not used go away and some are and then it sort of almost becomes a community in a way as we start to getting to know know ourselves it takes time years for folks like some of us but um it's it is what it is but now think about what we tell each other like the word network and i'm going to use that in the context of workplaces and conferences and professional settings it's all about networking how important is networking in our community in our workplaces in our professional settings and conferences and every time I go into networking mode, it's I feel it's hard and draining and, and energy, and it's uh, I feel awkward. And most of the time, I leave feeling unresolved and like, oh, okay. And then what ends up happening is we end up drinking a lot, so that helps us feel a little bit better. And so we poison ourselves literally to to go navigate those spaces so that we can feel a bit better and maybe 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 not have these these feelings. Um, and it end up, ends up being feeling transactional. It's about, oh, I want to get to know you because we might have to do business together at some point, or I might want something from you, or you might want something from me. And it's this transactional we, become, uh, we end up being because, yeah, maybe from there we might form a connection with someone, we may, but that's generally rare. Or even if we do that, we end up not continuing that in a lot of the cases. And yeah, it's okay to find one of those rare moments where we do find connection. But what ends up happening is it, it's we end up building these nodes and then these nodes in the network sometimes fade. Or if we just maybe do a connection on LinkedIn and we'll passively see what's happening in each other's if people do share on those social media platforms. But when we think about communities, communities are harder to fade. They're strong. They're more resilient. Communities aren't built on transactionality. It's relational. It's based on shared values and interests and or mission. It's one that gives us that feeling of belonging. Networks has never given me a feeling of belonging. It's more like, I just know this, I know that. So ERG groups, employee resource groups within companies, um, they they are communities with uh, with a network that companies, they're, they're communities within that network of a company. They bring people around identities, shared identities and interests to in, in, in the company together so that they can get that feeling of social support. They can get that feeling of belonging. And that's one of the ways people can feel connection and find belonging. If we stay within the transactional connections, we will know people. Rather, if we stay within the transactional connections, we will know of people, but we won't know the people. And likely they won't know us. And I think that that is a distinct difference i can i can know of amy oh I, uh, because i said hi to amy in a conference but do i know amy 
and community gets me to know Amy and community gets me to Amy to know me. And then we can form that connection. And so it's the, uh, the goal of what we're talking about in workplace health and well-being is that if we can start taking these networks and forming communities within that and forming these connections that give us social support and sense of belonging, we can then find a little bit more of ourselves in those places. We can feel the sense of sense of freedom and that lightness that I was talking about that I felt earlier. But let's dive in a little bit deeper, Amy. So how can we engender a deeper sense of connection community within our workplaces? I talked about one ERG groups, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And sometimes also when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, um, there's well, actually, there's three ways to do, do what you were just talking about. And there's probably many other ways too, that we can talk about. We only got a short period of time on this podcast. Um, but the first one is creating cultures of inclusion and belonging. We've talked about this quite a bit here, and this, this is coming from the, the, the report, right? These three things, but we're kind of building it out a little bit more. And what is what I find is interesting when it comes to like connection, community, the communities versus networks is that, you know, and employee resource groups have been used in a lot of ways to be the leaders who does the work of inclusion, of belonging, right? And that the work is, is left on their shoulders, but it really is uh, a problem a, a challenge, right, that we all have to own and be part of. So the first thing that comes to mind is that we, when we're building communities, is how do we build trust so we're in right relationship with each other? Um, cultures for every, belongs to everyone and not with the people at the top of the hierarchy. So it's, you know, it's the the power relies within everyone, um, and I think the words that we use around DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, it's very buzzy and politicized a lot right now. And in my work in my with my clients, I have to break down what we mean by inclusion and belonging, because these words are, are only matter in context. They are different for each group, and there are measurements and indicators for a culture creation effort. So we have to align that to our goals. And in fact, right now, one of my clients is now finding it hard to define belonging. And we're stopping work on our contract because they have to debate. They have to do to figure out what it means. And we've added this level of inquiry that where they weren't really prepared for, and it's opening up this Pandora's box of considerations. And when I talk to them, I likened this work to tilling a garden that were the ones tending to the soil. And when you first prepare a garden, the gardeners need to prepare the soil to add the right nutrients, make sure the foundation is ready for the flowers, for the fruit and the vegetables to grow. And the interesting thing is that this garden <laughs> that we all own never stops growing and it always needs tending to. And once the garden is no longer tended to and given attention, it gets unwieldy and overgrown. Yeah. And the other thing I think that helps us build that connection community is cultivating trusted relationships, as you mentioned, 
we we have to have relationships where we can trust each other. When uh, relationships without trust are end up being toxic, harmful to both parties, all parties involved, and when it 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 also feels harsh and it wounds us, maybe even for a long time. There's a popular saying: trust is earned in droplets, droplets and lost in buckets. Um. It feels that we have to build trust. We often hear that people have to earn it or build it. And what if we reverse that perspective? And what if we just started with trust instead? I believe people behave the way they are treated. It feels demeaning and undignified to start with no trust and that we have to earn it and build it. Uh, what if we just said in the beginning of relationships, like these are my boundaries and I'll, you know, we'll role model trust-based behaviors in our relationships. And those we'll talk about what that looks like. Trust is based on a series of small interactions and built up over time. If we started relationships with the understanding that we all make mistakes, that we all have insecurities or demons that cause us to make poor choices sometimes, instead of making that a judgment on each other, we trust that we will give, give each other the grace to learn from our poor choices, ask for the help when we need it, and forgive each other. I understand it's not easy, but if we work to be acknowledged, we work on being reliable, following up on our actions and commitments, asking for help, providing help, being respectful, acknowledging pain and hurt when we cause it, sharing the impact when we feel wounded, be transparent, and when we think trust is broken, communicate that and discuss the situation openly and transparently. Discuss the impact of that and how we can work towards transformative justice together. That is what I think trusting relationships can be and how we build trusting relationships. These can turn networks into communities, one relationship at a time. I, I totally agree. I think this idea of like trust is earned in droplets and lost in buckets is one of my favorite phrases I use and often because it's such a fragile thing, you know, and something that I also think about is when it comes to building trust is fostering collaboration and teamwork, which is the last um, topic we're going to go over to with today in the podcast is this idea of collaboration and teamwork. It's fragile. It's also counterintuitive in our world, I think as well, because we're taught to be individualistic and work alone be like perfectionistic, right? Everything has to be exactly right. We like to have control. Like the, you know, I talked about command and control earlier and it's hard for us to work with other people. One of my friends says, people are the worst thing and the best thing about life, <laughs> which I, I totally. Yeah, I, I know I, I recently, I, I was like thinking about this is like the world is mostly shit and also pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because both of those things, those are polarities, you know? Um, so, but the thing with collaboration and teamwork, it adds complexity. You have to hold the space for di different thoughts and you have different mindsets. And we can easily just put our blinders on, just do the work and don't collaborate. And so I've been fortunate to live in cultures that are collaborative first because I work with startups, I work with innovation hubs, I work with people who are a little bit more forward thinking when it comes to this. But 
it takes a lot of work to be comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity. A ton of self-awareness is necessary, emotional intelligence, and interpersonal development to be better at collaborating. And, and I have witnessed a lot of people and companies and organizations who do not have that. And I empathize because I've gone through that transformation myself for people who've had a shift, you know, in the pandemic in particular, in a very fast way to a whole new paradigm that they weren't trained up on or used to do. Um, and it's very disorienting. Um, so we've made that shift. We are in a new world right now. Um, but one, one thing I wanted to leave us with today is like this idea that all of this work um, around building connection to build building community is really about transforming how we work. I mentioned new power. I mentioned old power. Like we are, we are as a society going from this old power dynamic of command and control to open and participatory and peer driven work. And uh, people now we're having artificial intelligence come into the mix, right? So, so there's a transformation that we're all going through. And so I recently heard um, this uh, lovely purpose-driven coach named Jay Shetty. People probably know him. He's He has a very popular podcast, New York Times bestseller. He used to work at a corporate job and he left that work then to become a monk. And one of his books is called Think Like a Monk. <laughs> and he's a purpose coach. And something he said, I'm listening to his current book about love. And he said that there's three steps to any transformation, which I think is really helpful here and helpful for this entire framework to tell you the truth. Number one is coaching. These are the three C's of transformation. It's coaching. So a coach provides instruction that improves your performance. And it usually comes from another person reading digesting information of somebody who has been come before you and learned a lot of things. Two is community. So we mirror the people and behavior of the people around us. Um, so if you want to create change in your life, simply change the people you surround yourself with and the things that influence you will be more aligned with the behaviors of those people. And I can't underscore that enough, right? So find the find your people, find your community, find your sense of belonging. Um, and then three is consistency. And this is the heart of this positive change. You have to dedicate yourself and be accountable to taking action to make progress in a significant way. So if there's something you feel like you need to change within yourself, work at it. And then within a company or an organization, if you have identified this is something you need to work on, consistency is key. So at the end of the day, those are some great feedback pieces here. So if you can, if you, to help us grow and to help your companies grow and be better at teamwork, collaboration, trust building, all these different things, it takes coaching, it takes community and it takes consistency. So. Yeah. What finally we're, we're, just to really come bring all this together, which I think you you said it really well towards the end, the coaching community consistency. We all have this need to have know that we have social support, that we belong in the spaces we navigate, and that we have a community that we can go to people. And 
we want to get to a point where we can build this through not only in our personal spaces, but be in workplaces so that we can be where we spend so much of our time. And so those can be healthy for us, generative for us. And so in, in understanding that, what, what's important in delivering those, to that fundamental need is companies need to create cultures of inclusion and belonging, cultivate trusted relationships, and then foster collaboration and teamwork. Those are important aspects of building workplaces where people can be healthy. When people are healthy and the people working in the companies are healthy, the organization, the company is healthy, their customers are healthy, and it just has a ripple effect going for, for, from that. So Amy, what's the question we're leaving our, 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 our listeners with today? Yeah. So what we're trying to ask you all and hoping you're getting from this is where do you find your community and social support um, as you make your transformation into the future, right? So where are you finding this work? Empathy Power Up is produced by Amy J. Wilson and Kevin Shaw, two people who bonded over their love for creating a deeper sense of empathy in the world. You can reach Amy at Real Amy J. Wilson and Kevin at Shaw Kevin.